So, Chris, the people want to know our secrets. How did we get this podcast started? Yeah, kind of a crazy story. We were both coming into this from the YouTube side, have never really done anything podcast-wise. We looked around, found Anchor by Spotify, really great service. It's completely free to use. They have some great stuff that you can just upload straight onto the website. You can actually record on the website. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome back to another episode of Sower in the States Football. This is Chris, the MLS card guy. We've got the co-host with the mostest. It's Nashi. How are you today? I'm all right, mate, considering West Ham are currently 1-0 down to Everton, playing pretty poor, and uh, I'm sure we'll get into the other heartbreaks of the weekend and a little bit of our, with, uh, our boy tripping here. So, yeah, I'm bracing myself. I'm emotionally preparing for this, yeah. uh, for this episode. Yeah, Trippin literally messaged me last night. He's like, I cannot wait to talk to Nashi about this <laughs> Chicago and Charlotte game. Uh, obviously, Trippin B, our other uh, guest for today, the co-host of Sower in the States Baseball, big Charlotte fan, and he's going to help us out today. How are you? I'm great, Chris. It's it's a so rare in the States family affair, baby. We've got the baseball and football pods mixing. It's It's, you know, we're crossing the streams. It's a beautiful thing. Swords, it's, boys. it's called synergy right it's called synergy yeah. um so let's let's just hop straight into it let's rip the band-aid off here and just go straight for the for the big guns here charlotte chicago what happened there you had you, i'll let i'll let nashi tell the first half and i'll let trip and b tell the second half how about that yeah so as you know i'm still in um i'm still over in the uk so i was up and i was like debating down a bit early i was like nah, i've got to watch this uh, I had Shakiri in a lineup that was kind of uh, one of my priorities. So I thought we'll see if he can ball out at home to Chicago. It's got to be go- um, home to Charlotte. So I thought there'd be goals in the game. So I was excited. Game goes kind of well. To be fair, we 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 started well, but Charlotte did actually have some nice little counter attacks at the start of the game. But it's kind of an even game, and then we we broke the deadlock. And from then on, I thought we looked pretty solid. We get another goal. It's a bit sloppy on Charlotte's behalf. I'm sure Trippin will elaborate on that a little bit later. But John Duran, the young beast up front, 18 years old, gets another goal, takes it really nice. He probably should have passed the ball, but you like to see a bit of greed and confidence in a young man. He's not lacking that. So it's 2 0. It's one in the morning, half time. The missus is already in bed. I say, all right, this is this is game over. At home, you know, at home, it's, it's a lot. So that's it. Go off for a rest, restful slumber. And uh, I wake up, roll over in the morning and see my phone and my uh, Discord message, a little pop-up, and it's from Tripping B's tag you. I think it's something like, what happened there, Nashi? Or like, something like that. And I, I already felt the life suck out of me. I knew I knew something went on um, in the second half there. And then, yeah, I'm sure I'll pass it over to Tripping to explain what happened, mate. 2-0, half-time, the game looked pretty dead to me. And, uh, yeah, you're going to have to fill me in, and I'm sure you'll enjoy doing so. Yeah, you thought you thought the game was over at halftime. It had only just begun, for sure. The uh, the the spirits were low. Spirits were low in Charlotte FC fan base. It's been a, a up and down expansion year. We've exceeded a lot of people's expectations, but we've fallen short of our own expectations. Like we expected to be in the, uh, a playoff team, and we're probably not going to make it. But we do have the dream alive, and we were able to eliminate Chicago's dream by just playing just a out and out baller second half. We had one goal early like in the 50th minute that was disallowed for a foul in the buildup. So we, you know, it looked like we were two, one back really early in the second half. At that point, we could have cracked. 
at that point, Charlotte could have easily cracked. You know, you're down 2-0, you get a goal, and it's disallowed on kind of a, a weak little quote-unquote foul in the buildup that they had to slow down to super slow-mo speed to even see. So that was really – we could have cracked for sure. But the team rallied, Karol Swiderski. I've been singing his praises most of the season, and I'll they, they'll sing it even louder now because he got the first goal that created the fight back, and it was a a, a beautiful – uh, play and then Charlotte just kept up the counter made some key substitutions which our interim coach that surprised me he hasn't really been too hot with the subs at all this year but he he made the perfect substitutions brought on gains brought on Santos our new our summer signee our, our new creative attacking midfielder from Portugal out of the uh, Benfica system and he came in the two subs immediately combined for a second goal uh, so we got sub to sub for Two two, and all of a sudden it was it was on. And the thing was, when Chicago had taken that first half two zero lead, it really would, both goals were almost against the run of play. Charlotte has had a pretty good record in the last five, six, seven games of winning possession and unfortunately giving up goals on the counters, not against the run of play. And you know the results haven't been great, even though we've probably led possession probably sixty five thirty five cumulatively over the last five to five to ten games. And so finally just started to pay off and, and Charlotte kept the pressure up uh, when injury time hit, when stoppages hit, there was, they said seven minutes, there was a few delays. There was an, there was a, an injury and multiple VAR incidents. So they called seven minutes. And I just thought to myself, seven minutes, seven for heaven, baby. I, I knew something good was going to happen in that seven minutes. I just knew it. And right at the end, right near the death, the team just pressed and pressed gains hit the, posts i think and then it fell uh to someone else who missed it and then swiderski just got the ball and you gotta see this replay if you love footwork and if you love techers and what makes footy sort of an individual skill game in the midst of the team you gotta go to see this video i posted it on my if you go to at for the crown baby that's our charlotte fc podcast that i do with my buddy here in town i posted that clip and it just like the the, he backheeled it to himself almost. He, he he faked a pass one way, faked a pass the other way, then turns around and shoots, gets it off with the weaker. Actually, I, I think he is left-footed, but it, it was kind of it, an awkward type of shot. He was planted on his right and had to sort of scuff it with his left. Still got enough power of it to uh, – Slanina even deflected it, but it still went in. Game winner, scenes, limbs, madness, all, everything. And it was just such a great moment for Charlotte FC in this season that has been – a bit of a disappointment and especially this la sort of sputtering to the finish. This was sort of our wake up call, like, okay, Hey, in theory, we're still alive for the playoffs. It, I don't think we I've already on that other show. I mentioned my buddy and I, we've already done the, we're not making the playoffs. It's over. Let's like re let's talk about what went wrong this season and then finish strong. We already did that episode, but in theory, mathematically, we're still alive. So great match. Awesome soccer match from a neutral point of view as well. Hopefully a lot of people got to see it. I know college football is back and that hurts MLS viewership for a lot of people. I am a big, huge college football fan. So I'm flipping back and forth between the soccer and the gridiron as well, but awesome night really pumped me up, jazzed me up. All of a sudden the uh, Twitter fingers start flying as the fan base is cheering ourselves and the feedback loop of positivity was flowing. It was very nice. And I I'm still buzzing this morning as we tape this. Let's uh let's talk about Carol Tudersky a minute because I saw he was wearing the, the captain's armband. And it's the feeling around Charlotte now that it's a bit like Shakiri, where he's always seemed the player that you can you watch him, like you said, for the goal. He has ability maybe above some of the other guys in this league. And you can tell that in little moments. 
But it was some ups and downs with, I heard some grumblings early on. He had a bit of controversy around sort of his behavior and his attitude. Is this now, they've given him the captain's armband, obviously this kind of a good morale lifting game. It shows kind of the spirit and identity of Charlotte at a minute. And is this a sign that for next season, looking forward, which is obviously relevant for you guys and for Sore, are they kind of deciding like, this is definitely our guy now. We're going to build around him for the future. And that was kind of a show of him giving the armband. So I don't think he was captain up until that point, uh, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. You're correct. Yeah, it was his first time wearing the captain. So Christian Fuchs of, of Leicester fame and of Austrian national team fame, he is our de facto captain. He's been the main captain of the team all year, sort of for a veteran leadership role and for, uh, you know, being a, a defender and just kind of being the tone setter and whatnot, EPL champion. Obviously, he can be the captain. The problem is he tends to get red. He also leads the team in red cards this year. So he's been suspended. He's suspended last night and suspended for the next match also for violent conduct. He he, he got a game added. So so there's this was so in previous matches when Fuchs has been out, the armband's gone all over the place. It went to Guzman Carujo, it went to Anton Walks, it went to Brand Bronico. That last night was the first time that Swiderski wore the band, and you could tell. It put a lot of pressure on him, and you you could see. You mentioned you know his attitude and his body language. That was a knock on him earlier this year. He would uh, flap his arms a lot. You know, if he didn't get service or if the service wasn't what he liked, he'd flap his arms and kind of yell at guys. He yelled at he's yelled at teammates for taking shots when they could have passed to him and stuff like that. So that's been an issue, but it's really that that has like faded away after the first few months of the season. The coach, the interim coach, again, I don't know if this guy Latanzio is going to be the coach next year or not, but he has done a pretty good job at relating to the players. I think he's a pretty bad match day coach is his biggest issue, but he's pretty awesome. I think in train, he must be awesome in training because he gets a lot out of these guys and he challenged Carol to do more and he gave him the armband and it paid off. I think in the first half, Carol was pressing and he didn't do the, the flappy arm stuff or anything like that, but he just looked like he was trying a little too hard. That, that extra weight of the armband can, can really push you to put even more pressure on yourself. But he, in the end, he delivered. The amazing thing is when he scored that 97th minute winner, he went up, he ran to the sideline, he jumped in the air, pumped his fist. And then he just, as the team started rushing to him, he kind of just looked around and just collapsed like, like onto the ground. He, he uh, was, uh, he was so exhausted. He gave his all, he gave every single thing he had. And I do what you're saying as far as the team building around him. I think so. One other thing is he played the 10 last night. So he started it as a 10 and they had two other strikers up top. And then when they made some subs and brought in some, some different midfielders, they moved him back to the striker. So he's shown his versatility in terms of being able to be a creative mid or a striker. He's even spent a few minutes out on the wing this year where he wasn't that great. But for so rare purposes, this is a guy you want for next year. I really think. I don't want to drive up the price of his his uh, rare cards in the offseason. I'm one leg away from the rainbow. I have the craziest Karol Swiderski rainbow. I have limited, super rare, and unique. <laughs> I don't have his rare, <laughs> so I need to get his rare. I'm hoping the price drops a little bit more, and we're going to talk about MLS card prices dropping and if we've hit the bottom or whatnot in just a little bit so we can get that there. But Swiderski, he's a goal scorer. He's a creator. He scores free kicks, and he's a forward. And you know it's tough to get good scoring out of your forwards in this game, especially in MLS, so I think he's someone you're going to want to pick up for next season. I want to talk about uh, one more. I want to talk about one more thing about Charlotte here. Um, we mentioned kind of – you know, you, you've kind of exceeded expectations for the from the outside, at least. And you've certainly exceeded my expectations. Uh, and obviously, Swiderski is a big, big part of that. 
The question is where, like who else on this roster is worth owning? Who else are you going to be looking to pick up next year? I know we had a lot of Ben Bender hype at the beginning of the year, but he's kind of tailed off quite a bit. Is he a guy that you're looking for to come back? Are there some signings that have been made? I like Carujo quite a bit. He's been hurt for this last last uh, part of the season. Is he going to be in the mix next year to be a, a pretty decent MLS defender? Where where else is the talent on this team um, that, that people should be looking for? So it's kind of a tricky team in this year's cards because some of the guys who've become starters came in later and, and don't have cards minted. So there's a guy like Camille Yusviak, who I don't think is very good, but could blossom next year, would be someone you'd think about maybe owning. Uh, there's a guy... Kerwin Vargas, who's a, a 22-year-old Colombian who played in Portuguese second division and then came over here, and he's actually really caught the eye, doesn't have any cards minted. So that presents a little bit of a problem. Who you do want to get, though, is Carujo. I would definitely recommend, obviously, coming back from a knee injury is going to be be tough, but he's 25 years old. He's uh, He was dominant as a defender. He was putting up 60s without a decisive on the regular when he was playing. And so he's someone you would really want to try to get cheap this offseason in hopes that he comes back strong from knee injury. Center back, he has worn the captain's band before. He's kind of the, the vice captain behind Fuchs in in, uh, in designation if he was healthy. He and also then, looks a lot like Olivier Giroud, which <laughs> is a big plus. Yeah, yeah, with a big with an even bigger mm -hmm. beard for sure. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he's awesome. He He's a beast. He plays with such passion and, and just – he loves to get into a duel. His so rare. His game fits the so rare matrix nicely. Hopefully, he comes back from injury. I have his unique as well, so I I, I need that uh, to pay off. But the other guy that I think you want to look at is McKenzie Gaines, who is a forward, and he's probably never going to have huge AA scores. He came in last night though and got a sub. He's kind of worked. He had been a regular starter for about six weeks, eight weeks for a little bit there. And then he got, he took a knock and got a high ankle sprain was out three weeks. And now he's in the two games since he's gotten healthy and he's been a sub, but I think he has a chance to be a regular starter next year. He's probably cheap as hell. And he, his, his is really nice. He's so fast. One of the fastest guys in the league. And he's always just lacked that end product. But he's starting to find the end product now. He's got an assist in this last game as a sub. He scored a goal in the game where he got hurt. So he's finally starting to like add decisives to his game. So I think that he's going to be a little more inconsistent. He's going to give you some dog scores, but he can spike really nice. So and he's cheap. So definitely someone worth getting for like an underdog or a specialist. And midfield wise, it's rough. I mean, Brant Bronico is one of my favorite players on the team. And he's a really, really good threshold card, but he doesn't really have the high spikes that you need to like get up to the podium. But if you need a cheap midfielder who's like always going to play, Brant Bronico is nice for a threshold grinder easily. And then one more that I would throw out is another guy who doesn't have a card, but I'm going to be looking to get his card as quickly as possible when it comes out next season is Nuno Santos. So I mentioned earlier, he scored the second goal against Chicago, came in as a sub and just really looked. So it was his second substitution appearance. And he really looked like he is starting to understand sort of this team a lot better and what, what, where he fits in this role. Like I said, he scored a goal on a nice counter. So he's someone whose card I'm going to want to pick up because he should probably be the highest scoring Charlotte mid. And I want to run my Charlotte stacks in America division. Like I did this year for next year. We got Vinicius Mello came in injury. What's going on with him? Because he had he came with quite a bit of promise. If I remember, I think he came from Internacional in uh, Brazil, or obviously a huge club over there. Obviously, he can't be blamed for the injury, but he's kind of off the radar. No one's thinking about him. Has he got a road back to the team? What's, what's going on? So I remember at one point you were quite excited about seeing what this this kid can do. 
yeah, good shout there for sure. He, who knows what he'll do. He'll probably start the season on the bench next year, but he could, he's really young. He's like 19. I think he, he has a chance to really uh, grow and, and be good. We just haven't seen enough from him, but what happened with him is that he had a foot surgery right before the season, like in February in Brazil, like before he came here for final training to start the season. And then it wasn't, I guess what the Charlotte, what the MLS doctors determined was that the doctors in Brazil had botched the surgery. Like he just, what his recovery wasn't coming quickly enough. And they're like, okay. So then he had another foot surgery or the same, the same procedure basically on the same foot uh, here in America. So he basically had like the same surgery twice in a year. And that's what's held him out uh, from getting on the pitch. And, but he is, uh, he's jogging and training these days. And I th- he hasn't yet to make the bench for a match day squad, but he is someone that we are excited about. Another guy, he's not, not as cheap as he should be. Like for someone who had had, who's been out all season, his price never seems to come down. I think it's because people see 19 year old striker with a sweet neck tattoo and they're like, I- I'm paying for th- I'm I'm buying this card. You know, I'm just, I'm going to trust the future on this one. So really interesting. Um, so let's let's move on here. We had a, a few other games that you had said that you had seen. First of all, the Hudson River Classic, the uh, Red Bulls against NYCFC. Gerhard Struber comes in, guarantees a win in this game, and then promptly gets absolutely whipped by NYCFC. Bold to, to say you're going to go into Yankee Stadium and beat NYC because nobody does that. It doesn't really matter what their form is. When they play at Yankee Stadium, they're really, really hard to beat. Uh, and, and, and is NYC back here tripping or was this just kind of a one-off or what, what was the story of this game? I think they might be back. I think they might be back. I don't really rate Red Bulls too highly myself. And yet there they are up near the top of the standings as a playoff team themselves. They're going to have to face Charlotte, the aforementioned Charlotte FC on decision day. It'd be awesome if, if the crown has a chance to knock the Red Bulls out of the playoffs at that spot, but they're down to fifth after that loss and New York city hold. Uh, fifth overall, I should say, in the MLS. Uh, Red Bull still third in the Eastern Conference. NYC, I think, is back, though. The biggest thing for NYC is they're a great team that really relied on the goal-scoring prowess of Tati Castellanos, and also they really responded well to their coach, Ronnie Delia. So you lose both the coach and the talisman in the middle of the season. Obviously, that's what sent them into a bit of a spiral, but they looked really good yesterday, and Santiago Rodriguez looked real nice he scored a goal and set up the uh, uh, the first one in the first minute. And uh, and Gabby Pereira, I'm not going to say that Gabby Pereira is finally you know able to fill the cost, the Tati Castellanos role, but he did look pretty nice. So you know Talia's Magno is still doing well as well. Their defense has really seemed the best that I'd seen them all all year, probably last night. So I think NYC might be back. Sean Johnson has stood stood on his head a little bit to get the clean sheet. And after that sort of mid-season swoon that they went through, losing Tati and Delia, I think they may, might be back. What do you think, Nashi? I'm interested in, yeah, they lost, definitely lose some firepower. Mid-season is going to hurt any side. He's the, he was one of the best players in the league, let alone in their, mm-hmm. in their squad. So top-class players. That being said, they still have a ton of talent. And I guess I'll pose this question to you, Chris, because I know you're a big advocate of Talas Magno and a couple of these other guys. And, would you have expected, do you think Magno's kind of underperformed or is he maybe not quite as good as we a lot of us thought at the start of the season? Because he plays well when you look at him, he's obviously a quality player, but we're talking about production here and he hasn't really sort of putting the sort of numbers up that I would maybe have expected in a team like that. Um, do you think he's underperformed, Talos Magno, Chris? 
I wouldn't say underperformed. I think he benefited quite a bit from all the attention that went to Tati Castellanos. And now he's got to figure out how he fits into this team without Tati Castellanos, which is realistically, that's the whole team, right? Like that's, they relied so heavily on him. And why wouldn't you, as you said, one of the best players in the league. And now you lose him and you have to, you have to figure out, you have to basically reinvent your, your entire team. And I think uh, to Trippin's point, I don't, I think we're not making a big enough deal of Ronnie Dyla not being in this team um, because he was kind of, whenever they would have a bad loss or they would have a, you know, they would have a performance where they weren't really as sharp as you thought they might be. He was, they would always bounce back. And I, I kind of bring that back to coaching. And I think obviously uh, standard Liège and Belgium saw that as well. And that's why they paid so much to, to get Ronnie Dyla. Um, but I, I, so I, I think a lot of this comes down to coaching and just having the right, you know, kind of mindset, but as far as Talis Magno, yeah, you got to kind of reinvent your entire game mid season. I don't know that that's really possible to do, but if you really look at his numbers, like he's had a pretty good season, especially while Tati was in town. So, I mean, I, I, I can't say that he's underperformed for me. Um, he is also only 19. So, I mean, you can't really expect too much. I still think the world of him. Um, and I think a lot of New York's problems have really been more at the back. They've had injuries to the big back three of Cheneau. Well, they never play as a back three, but the, they have three really good center backs, um, Cheneau, Martins, and Callens. They've had, either had injuries or they've had suspensions or they've had, you know, all kinds of different issues going on with those guys. And they've just been shipping three goals a game, which is killing Sean Johnson's scores, obviously. And it's really, that's, I, I think that's why they're not really playing the way that we expect NYCFC to play. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I still, I love Talis Magno. I think he's one of the top five players in the league for next year. Um, and I'm excited to see where, where things kind of go with this team. Uh, are they back to Trippin's point? I'm, I don't know if I'm sold on that. I, I don't know if I'm sold on that. I, I don't like where they are right now. I think they need a new coach. And I think they just need an offset to reset without Tati Cassianos and figure out what they're going to do moving forward. Um, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see. Obviously, they have an incredible spine to that team. They have a great back back line if they're all healthy and if they're all there. And they can just pitch a bunch of shutouts. So we'll see. Not a team that I want to be playing in the playoffs, that's for sure. Um, is there a case that Magno is just the most extremely overpriced card on so rare at this point as uh, with a floor of 0.67 currently on the market and hasn't scored over 50 in eight game weeks. It's kind of crazy. He's got one decisive in his last 14. And I guess that was kind of the point. I mean, we'll get into it. Like we said earlier, I'm already kind of looking ahead to next season of picking up some of these guys. And yeah, I was actually looking at Talos Magno as a sort of under 23 forward option. Um, in the league, obviously, he's on the field, he's one of the best players. But, yeah, that was a bit concerning to me, and that's kind of what's got me thinking. One goal in 14 games for a centre-forward for one of the best teams in the league is a, is a, is a little bit a little bit concerning. Like you said, well, he's, he's, he's priced he's, like he's, he's scored 10. Yeah, he's definitely not a centre-forward. He's definitely more of a winger. Uh, kind of in the, you know, Luis Araujo mold down in Atlanta, mm -hmm. where he just kind of is a winger, holds the ball a lot. Um you know, makes good runs when he has the chance. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know that he's really gonna, I don't know that I love him as a center forward. Let's put it that way. Um, I, I, I mean, and that's what he was playing when he was really doing well with Tati Castellanos. So it was, he was a winger. So that's part of the transition that I talked about. You're learning an entire new position mid season. I'm kind of more willing to give him a break on that. 
Um, You're right. That's that's not going to cut it going forward. But I there's a ton of talent there. He had a slow year last year and then kind of figured things out. So I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt until he until he proves me wrong. And I mean, the talent is undeniable. You see just the way that he plays. You see the talent all over the pitch. It's just a question of can he can he find the back of the net? And he's shown that he can score. So we'll see. We'll see how things go. But um, yeah, should be interesting. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about Atlanta and Philadelphia. So, um, we actually went to this game. We were, uh, invited by, uh, our good friend, listener of the show. Um, our good friend, Colin had us down in Atlanta and, uh, we went to the game, got to see everybody in person. Uh, Joseph Martinez again, coming off the bench. I know you watched this game as well, uh, Trippin. So I just give us a little bit of a, of, of your perspective here. Um, and then I'll kind of kind of give you my perspective. But what did you see in this game from from Atlanta or Philly's perspective? I would call it the rare, really entertaining nil-nil draw. You know, I mean, it was it was zero-zero, and it was still so fun to watch all the way throughout. I I don't know what it was like in the stadium for you, but um, there was plenty of chances. Even though no, nothing went in, there was lots of chances. Andre Blake made like this insane save mm-hmm. right in the death to keep uh, the score sheet clean, and there was you know cool free kicks and Amada doing things and Gazdag doing things and you know. Carranza headbutting opponents and uh you know Jose Martinez El Brujo playing one of his better games recently even with the yellow still turned out 65 so rare points so it was just really fun to watch that I'll never understand the whole why Gonzalo Pineda just decided to sort of pick a fight with Joseph Martinez their their franchise is the most emblematic player maybe Joseph picked the fight with him who knows but the fact that they're not getting along I think hurts Atlanta because Joseph Martinez is just flat out better than Dom Dwyer. It's got to kill Atlanta fans to see Dom Dwyer, former Orlando man, in there at center starting striker while your favorite, everyone's favorite player, Joseph Martinez, is on the bench. It's really weird. But all I can say is it has kind of been working for Atlanta. So uh, to draw, even at home, you know, and when they could have had a win, but to get a draw against the Union is no small feat this year. They're, you know, racing to try to get the supporter shield. And so I'd have to say, all, all in all, pretty impressive performance by Atlanta United. It's impressive, but it's not enough. Like they right. needed three points in this game. You look at the standings, they're basically dead now. It's it wasn't enough. And they had plenty of chances to put the ball in the back of the net. To your point, Andre make blade Andre Blake made two incredible saves that I saw. One at the death and one um where there was a ball heading for the top corner. And I don't know if it was gonna hit the crossbar just underneath the crossbar. Mm-hmm but he just tips it over very nicely. And he's yep. absurd about doing that. Like every inch of his six foot five frame or whatever it was, was completely stretched out to get his fingertips on that. And just enough. He's the only goalkeeper in the league that makes that save. Uh, I think Philly hit the post once, although they may have been off sides on that play. We couldn't really tell. And then uh, Atlanta hit the post twice that I saw. So yeah, there were tons of chances in the game. And this is just kind of Atlanta, right? Like they, this year, at least all these expectations, all this talent, they dominate the game against everybody against a team. That's won something like 27 to four in their last five games. They're just steamrolling everybody, Philly. They come into Atlanta and get kind of get kind of beat up. Like Atlanta was the better team, but Atlanta just couldn't score. They could not put the ball in the back of the net, had two glorious opportunities. Um, and, and just, just couldn't do it. And, and that's kind of emblematic of the season. To your point with with Joseph Martinez and, and the coach, like I don't know that Pineda survives this. Like, there's, I, 
if you're looking at this from from a fan's perspective, you're you're on Joseph Martinez's side. Period. End of story. Because the thing he's frustrated is they're not winning. They're not playing well, and he's being benched even though he's the he's the star striker and the top. He's still the top scorer of the team. Like right. he's only played like half the minutes, maybe this whole He'll, season because he's been hurt some and he come off the bench for a lot of it. And he's he still has, the top scorer in the team. He has like forty games to go to get two more goals to be the fastest to ever get 100 goals in MLS. Like he's so, right. he's so far ahead of the pace. And he's had two major injuries and like, yeah. he's, it, it's absurd. Like I don't understand it at all. And and then in the 60th, maybe 55th, somewhere in that area, like very early on in the second half, he stepped off Araujo and he didn't even put in Moreno. Like and Araujo is coming off the field. Like what, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. it, I mean, if you're not going to play Joseph, fine. If you're, if you're thinking he's got a bad attitude, whatever. Ataujo is your second best player. Maybe Almada is your second best player. I, you know, but um, he seems yeah, to I mean, like Mascara. Can't... Like he he, ha- he seems to like some of these guys that he brought in from the Mexican league. But that doesn't sure. that doesn't make any sense to me. Like if you're gonna take off, the reason they don't play Moreno is because you can't have Almada, Moreno, and Ataujo on the field at the same time because they're all three. They need the ball at their feet, and there's just not enough ball to go around. Sure. But you can play two of them. So if you're gonna take one off, you put the other one on. That's that just. It blows my mind this that substitution, and they've got a new president coming in, and there's no way if I'm if I'm a new president coming into Atlanta United, the very first thing I'm doing is firing Pineda. Like that's the very first thing. You walk in Monday morning, nine a.m. out the door, you go bye bye. Like <laughs> by nine oh five, Pineda's got yeah. his stuff in a box. <laughs> like that has to be it. I mean, there's there's just no way. Um, so yeah, I I don't understand that Atlanta still. I mean, they didn't fill a place, but it was still very loud. It was a, it's a fun atmosphere. It's a beautiful stadium. So always recommend anyone getting to go down to that. Um, but yeah, there's, let's, there's, let's, a pl- there's a place and a time in football, obviously, where you see managers go head to head with a big player, but sort of comparing the MLS to other leagues, it feels you can kind of understand if you're Alex Ferguson, you're trying to build a culture and a dynasty and you see a long term, that squad's going to be with you and you might lose something short term by on the field gaining something valuable long term. You see it Mikel Arteta at Arsenal with the whole Aubameyang thing. And he's trying mm-hmm. to he knows he's going to be there a while. The players are going to be there a while. He's trying to build an identity. It seems a little bit weird here for Pineda to do that with Joseph in a league where rosters are changing so often, so quickly compared to some other leagues. Things are happening. It doesn't it seems like the trade-off is it seems more personal, more of an ego thing. Because there's no way I he could sit down and justify that Tom Dwyer, with all respect to him, um, <laughs> is as good of a player and a goal scorer as uh, Joseph Martinez on the field. So, yeah, it seems like he's sort of uh, digging his own grave at this point. Yeah, and that's that's the thing, right? Like, Joseph is a 27, 28-year-old. Like, he's in the prime of his career now. He could have gone to the Premier League when, um, what's his name, uh, Almiron went to the Premier League. He was better than Almiron that year. He easily could have gone to the Premier League at that point decided to stay in Atlanta has come out and publicly said he wants to retire in Atlanta because he loves the city. He loves the team. He's in the prime of his career. You're still got five more years out of a minimum. Like it doesn't make any sense to piss him off and bench him. And now, I mean, one of the two of them has got to go. If the coach doesn't go, Martinez is gone. So like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, let's quickly talk about Orlando Toronto before we get to our kind of main topic of the week. Cause I know you had some, some thoughts on this one tripping, obviously a big win for, for the, uh, for the bad guys there for Orlando puts them pretty close to into the playoffs. I, I believe 
Uh, Toronto season obviously over. They got it seems like kind of kind of steamrolled. But what was your thoughts on the game? Yeah, Toronto just uh, what might have been. I think what we've learned from what we from watching Toronto FC this year is that no amount of imported talent can make up for the fact that you have a washed up coach and who insists on playing his washed up son as a key player in the side. I mean, the Bradleys, it's just time for him to go. In my opinion, like it, 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 it is the root of the problem. They, they also don't have a goalkeeper. They just the, the Bono Westberg flip-flop back and forth just never seems to work. You know, uh, Orlando scored in the first 10 minutes and then they scored 10 minutes again after that from some nice, really nice outside the box shots from uh, Cara and Torres uh, or close to the outside of the box, they might have actually been in the box. And then they get an own goal right after, you know, right to start the second half, like two minutes after halftime, they give up an own goal to fall behind 3 0. And they were just never in it. And it's like this team, when Insigne and Bernardeschi got here, unfortunately, my my club, Charlotte FC, had to face their wrath for their first game. And they, it's like they got the, <laughs> I guess, how could I describe this? It's kind of like, you know, drinking like a, uh, a huge Mountain Dew or like a surge energy drink or, or something like that, or a monster, you know, like you feel like you, you drink this huge drink uh, of Insigne, Bernardeschi and Cresito. And like, all, you just feel like you can beat the world. And they, they got really hot for like two or three games right after those guys showed up. And then came the come down comes the crash when, you know, the, the sugar high dies away. And all of a sudden you realize, Oh wait, our get our goalie is still, Quentin Westberg slash Alex Bono. Oh, wait, Michael Bradley's still standing like a statue in the center of the midfield for minutes, uh, minute long stretches at a time. Oh, wait, we still don't have any real set center back pairing. Uh, you know, and the, the new kid they put in last night, Lucas McNaughton got the own goal. It's like, oh, we got to we got to go bring it back. Richie Larea, you know, like, who we used to have a couple of years ago. It's just there's, there's just no real ideas. And it's like they, you know, they've completely stunted the growth of Jesus Jimenez, who was one of their brighter spots to start the season. He's been gone to the bench now. They're playing Akinola, who's just not good. So uh, it's it's a rough, rough scene in Toronto. I, I'm happy about it because I really don't like Toronto. Not a huge fan of the Bradleys. And. Uh, I'm pissed that Toronto was able to beat Charlotte FC twice somehow. Uh, two, two of their three clean sheets on the season came against us, but they just give up way too many goals and they don't score enough goals. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's just a bad situation for Toronto. Like couldn't, I couldn't be happier to see them miss the playoffs though. You know, what's really weird. You guys have lost both to Toronto. I know you lost the first one to DC because that game we scored three and we should have maybe only scored one. I don't remember the second match, but You've dropped nine points against the bottom two teams in the Eastern Conference. Like, if you could have just had some points out of those games, like four or five points, you're right in it in the playoff race. Don't remind me, brother. <laughs> I'm oh, well aware. Okay. But yeah, you're you're not wrong there for sure. I'm just the wheels are just turning here. <laughs> I'm just realizing things. Um, no, yeah, I think you're hundred percent right on Toronto. Their problem was never going forward, really. Their problem was always at the back. And I I do like Mark Anthony K and Osorio. I don't love Michael Bradley. I don't think I'm as low on him as you are. Um, he's still he's still smart, so like he doesn't need to run as much as he used to. Um, but yeah, there are times when he needs to run and he just can't. So right. there are times when he's physically limited and it hurts the team. And, and I should I, say yeah, Osorio, Osorio being out, you mentioned I should have mentioned that. Correct. Like he's been missed yeah. the last few games, and that might be because he was so clutch it's for a them. Big and that deal. Might be why they're yeah. losing more. Yeah. Yeah, every time Osorio misses any time, they're garbage all the time. They can't because they can't bring the ball from 
the defenders to through the midfield. Like they literally cannot do it without Osorio. They can't get the ball to Insigne and Bernadeschi. Um, so that's why they never score any goals uh, because they they're literally it's it's like having a choke and you can't you can't put your gas on. Mm-hmm. Um, is um, so yeah, it's is, it's weird. Mm-hmm. Is Lorenzo Insigne the best forward card on Sore though? And I remember we compared him and Carlos Gil and said maybe if he maybe he's got a potential to be the goat card in the MLS like Gil. And despite what we're talking about, the meta of Toronto, yeah, they've they've not looked great, and there's definitely some problems there. Um, what's our kind of review of Lorenzo Insigne for Soria? Because he, I have his card. I don't know exactly. I'm going to look it up now what his average is. But he just absolutely smashes every... Like, they lose 3-0 and I think he'd got like a 60 or something. What's uh, what's your thoughts, Chris, going into next year? Is he the new Carlos Gil? I mean, talent-wise, obviously he's better than Carlos Gil. Like, it, it's not a question. The question is going to be age. Like, how fast does he start to age? Because he is 31. Um, yeah, I mean, he he's still going to be in his prime next year, so I don't think he's is really an issue next year. But like, even looking at the scores, I mean, he he's he's just going to rack up AA all the time. He's going to put up like twenty five to thirty AA, and if he ever scores or assists, you're talking about a ninety easily every single game. Like it's 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 kind of a cheat code. Um, he did miss the Atlanta game. Uh, I think he had had a kid or something. What I, I don't so, remember why he missed that game. Actually, I can speak to that because I just saw this news this morning. He uh, it's really unfortunate. He probably he, he actually left the game against Orlando with 10 minutes left, even when they were out of subs, because unfortunately, his wife uh, lost a baby. So um, mm. he he left the game and has had this family tragedy and it's potentially he could maybe miss another game at this point. But really, yeah. really sad story. And I don't know a ton of details, but I did. I did see that headline. And uh, and Insignia has been playing awesome. And I, I just I, as, as much as I'd like to talk trash on Toronto, definitely wish him and his family the best in this time. Got to be rough. And I'm not sure how it will affect his play for the rest of the year. Yeah, that's tough. That's really tough. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know about the rest of this year, but kind of moving forward next year. Yeah, he's he's just going to rack up AA and he's going to score and assist. He's probably going to have 25 goals and assists next year minimum, you'd say. So, yeah, he's going to be a cheat code. And I don't, I don't think there's really any any question mark about that. They might need a new coach. overall. They might need oh, a new coach. Do you think Bob Bradley's the coach no. there next year? Uh, yeah, for sure. His first year. It's his first year, and you didn't get any of your good players in until halfway through the year. So they're not going to fire him this early. He, whether whether he's washed up or not, he's still a legend, and he's still done incredible <laughs> things with LAFC in 2019, I think it was. Like, sure, he, he's well, still going to be there. Won the double with Chicago Fire back in the day, Nashie's crew. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I know he has, a, he, he has a long, great resume. I just – I wonder how much fire is really there, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. They need defensively is where they need some help. Um, let's talk quickly. Uh, we have about 10 minutes left here. Let's talk about a kind of our main topic here. And that's, are we at the bottom of the MLS market? Because I know we're getting kind of close and everyone wants to time up the bottom perfectly. I guess we'll start with you, Nashi. What do you, have you already bought your team? Are you buying players now? Are you waiting to buy players? Where, where are we at? Yeah, it's a strange time. Um, I it's, it's It feels completely different. It feels wrong to sort of, Based things on last year because so much has changed both in the macro sort of economic environment in the NFT space. I think it just, if I was talking like I knew anything based on the past, I'd just be throwing a dart at the wall. But logically, the prices seem very reasonable now as long as 
Rare maintains somewhat close to its average that it has been as a platform. And it could dip lower. I, could, I wouldn't be too surprised. But I kind of look at it like I see this card and I know what this card can do for me and I know what it has done in the past. And I look at a price and I say, well, if I pay that price, I think I'm happy with it. And I've just been kind of rolling with that. If it goes low, I don't think I'm looking at it like, oh, I could have got it lower here or there. I think there's a lot of cards there that I think you'll be happy to pay the price. Yeah, you could probably try and time it. But in my experience in a lot of things, that's kind of a tough little game. So I think if you see the guy that you want in the MLS for next year, around about now, the prices are pretty nice and he's there for the taking. Do it, especially when you get up into the super rare, maybe unique, like Trippin's got some good uniques there from his Charlotte boys. If you see one come on the market and you're like, I want to take that, um, I think you've got a fire. And I did that with uh, Ricky Puge, super rare. He only had three on the market. I was negotiating with a guy and he was, at the time, it was he was less proven than he is right now. He's had a few really good games. But I, my thought process was, I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to pick this guy up at anything like this price again, if if he's as good as I kind of looked on the eye. So, yeah, I fired there. That was a lucky one. But I think the prices are good now. I can't speak whether they're going to get lower. But I've been rebuilding right now for next season, um, maybe trading out a couple of couple of guys in Europe to to pick up a few of these, few of these bargains in the MLS because there's some great so-rare performers uh, in the league right now. And, and yeah, some good bargains to be had. What are you, what are you saying over there, Trippin? I'd, I'd say very similar. The 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 macro view of NFTs is way different. And the, the calendar, the football calendar is so much different because of the World Cup coming up, right? So this year we got kind of a bonus with MLS starting early. MLS started in late February this year. And that's not, it's going to be close to late, mid, late March next season. They have not announced an official date yet, but the it's going to be a longer wait to get your guys back, which I think is going to hurt. That may extend. I do. I agree with you that we're in kind of a uh, a low point right now. But this is obviously considering that unless Sora, you know, as long as Sora stays around, like you said, and doesn't have like a site wide crash, I do think we're close to where the bottom of prices are going to be for America. So it is a good time to be shopping. I'm I'm currently sitting on some ETH that I put in, and I haven't. It's over one ETH, and I'm like, should I? I've, I've been wanting to spend it, but I just don't want to spend it wrong. And so like. I'm kind of debating with myself every day. Like, do I go in and, and find like one or two really good European cards to carry me through the America's off season? Cause I have, I have a decent set. I have about, you know, 25, 30 European cards that are all usable and playable, but the bulk of my, my deck, like 150 plus are in the America range, the ML MLS area and Argentina and Mexico leagues. So I'm kind of sitting here thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't really have the firepower to really compete in Europe this year. Like there, I'm never going to have like Gakpo and uh, you know, Veerman and, and uh, you know, even some old, even over 23 guys like, you know, Van Aken and whatnot. I, I'm never going to really have a full team full of those guys. I'm just kind of getting by with what I have in Europe. So I, I, lately I'm leaning more towards instead of spending this ETH that I currently have on beefing up Europe, which is not, it's going to be kind of like a full, it's like too, it'll be too little too late. I'm really looking at this American market. I'm thinking, okay, how can I spend this ETH on some longer term investments? That's going to help me to win next year a lot bigger because I'm like, I want to win D1, D2 America. That's, that's like, it took like the first year I played so rare in 2021, I, I really only played 
you know, div, division four. And then I tried to, I, I, I crept into division three with a few super rares by the end of the year. This year I deposited some ETH. I got some really nice super rares, some guys that I really like. And then I, you can call it smart or silly, I guess, but I, I got into the unique world because they started putting Charlotte FC uniques on, on the auction block. And I wanted them just for my Charlotte collection. So now I've got some uniques and I'm sitting here saying, okay, I can really make a push into D1, you know, D2 here. So that that's kind of where I think I'm, I'm thinking of kind of punting most of the European season. Play, I'll be able to play for thresholds with what I have, but I'm not going to really be a, a force to be reckoned with in Europe, and that's fine for now. I can maybe look to that next year if if the spring and summer of Americas goes how I want to. And how I'm, So I'm taking that time right now here in September 22. I'm trying to set myself up to be the best in March and April of 23. It seems like a long time to wait, but, and I'm not the most patient person, but I'm hoping that that will pay off. If you want, yeah, I think- if you want a place to spend some of that ETH, I have some beautiful Aaron Long limited cards <laughs> that I can, uh, I have about 20 of them. So we'll see where those go. I need Aaron um, Long to go away so Andres Reyes can get a regular no, starting time, bro. I, I, I no, Aaron Reyes Long on the bench the- screwed me yesterday in my, in my specialist <laughs> super rares. Absolutely sucked. Aaron Long is the GOAT, and he will be a starter at the U.S. national team for the World Cup. I'm going to call it right now. Um, so, yeah, so, uh, as far as as far as far kind of my stack and my kind of considerations here, I think it's it's exactly correct to Nashi's point. Like, I don't need to try to time exactly where the bottom is because, first of all, it's very hard to do. You don't really know when the bottom is. And secondly, the bottom is going to come for different cards at different times. Like some guys are going to panic sell a certain card at a certain time. And that's going to be the lowest that you see on sober data. Whereas other guys, they're going to panic sell a week later. Other guys they are going to panic sell a week before. So you're never going to actually have a whole market where it's actually at the lowest for each individual card at the same time. Secondly, we don't really know when the lowest is going to be. We can kind of project things based on last year. Um, and we can kind of, we kind of take last year as a framework. And then kind of add in the special things about this year. So obviously World Cup, later start date to the season, earlier end date to the season as well. A lot of people are saying, wait till November to buy because that was the lowest time last year. It was the lowest time because that was like the end of playoffs last year or the end of the regular season last year. This year, Mm -hmm. it's a month earlier. So realistically, it should be before that. And I guess the my concern with waiting is the World Cup because from Sower's perspective, it's going to be easy for them to say, everybody's attention is going to be on the soccer world, you know, for the entire world cup. If we're the best soccer fantasy game out there during the world cup, we should be onboarding a ton of new users to play specifically for the world cup. And I know the international tournaments aren't really super, super fun for, for people with big galleries because you have to have a specific team and all that. But if you're just starting the game and they give you five world cup cards, that could be a lot of fun to play like common, uh and to try to maybe even buy a little bit of of, of limited guys um so we should see like a, a hopefully if so we take advantage of this we should see a pretty big influx of new users new users always means higher price because there's more demand so I, that's my concern with waiting um i to nashi's point i like the prices now and even if it drops a little bit more i'm not gonna i'm not gonna scream and cry um because I'm, I'm getting good prices now anyway i know they're gonna be higher come march I think what Trippin's saying there, he's got his budget now and he's looking at Europe. And I think there's sort of the competitive, I'd say like a, if you had sort of tier one European players, maybe good tier two, tier ones that could do something for you potentially. But you want to, you're looking around, it's competitive, it's hard to win. I think the decision that you can make there is say on a smaller budget, how do I get to 
you have a legitimate chance. You can sell some of these tier one Europeans and buy elite MLS players right now for the same price. The trade-off is you have to wait the time. You have to sit on your hands a little bit. But come next March, like you said, now you're going into that with teams that you're like feeling elite. And that's the pre- sort of progression that we love to see in Soro and we love to do. But it's not as easy as just throw money at it by these top guys. The guys that are going to be successful long-term might not have had the budget to come in and buy the elite players, but they're going to be making these kind of decisions where they say, all right, I trade out this, you know, this good T1 camp midfielder now for my 0.4 ETH and I put it into a Reynoso, one of these cars that can be really top elite cars in the summer. My second point that I think people haven't been talking about and might be good for the MLS cards is that kind of an issue has been this European season, bunch of new leagues onboarded, it's, there's uncertainty, the amount of supply, there's new cards, it's getting more competitive and it's sort of been a harder landscape to navigate with all these new teams and leagues coming in. That's not going to happen in MLS, we know that. There's no, in the summertime, we might add one or two more obscure leagues, but no one's playing football, no one's playing soccer in the summer. So we can, if you pick up these cards, you can kind of more accurately assume that they're going to have the value they had last year or a bit more, a bit less, depending on what you're thinking. But you haven't got to worry about 10 new leagues being onboarded and now this elite under 21 who compared to what we knew last year is now just middle of the pack kind of thing so I think these little things that us who are playing a little bit more seriously looking forward to the head you've got to kind of consider all this stuff and yeah that's what I mean if you if you want to move up from an average European and start competing for the big prizes maybe MLS you can kind of trade out one for one like tripping with, with one ETH now you can pick up some top class sort of players in the MLS some top performers Whereas in Europe, you you might get one maybe or, you know, a couple of them. So, right. yeah, and that's the excitement. Even, even more to that point, MLS is a league very suited for buying cheap players that end up being elite. Like, you look at Lucho Acosta, who I was pumping all offseason, and he had a monster year, and now his price is much, much higher. I mean, you're selling an elite an elite Euro guy. You you can go get three or four different, like, you know, a Lucho Acosta, a Reynoso, uh, you know, a couple of these different guys, and one of them's going to hit. Like, one of them's going to pan out if you really know what you're doing. Um, so, yeah, it, it, MLS itself kind of lends itself to kind of climbing that ladder a bit um, and making those trades because guys that are under, you know, undervalued or underpriced or or, or maybe just cheaper in general um, do end up being some of the best players on the platform and can have their prices raised pretty dramatically. Whereas in Europe, you know who Hans Van Aken is and everybody knows who Hans Van Aken is and his price is never coming down be- until he move unless he moves, I guess maybe to West Ham, but, um, <laughs> nah, he's not. um but yeah, so like, you that get was my all point. Like, screen. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but yeah, you get, you get my point is, um, you you can kind of find these, these undervalued type of guys in the MLS a lot more. Um, but that's, all the time that we have got for today, we really appreciate tripping coming on to the soccer side. Definitely check us out on the baseball side if you are interested in that as well. We release on Tuesdays. Anything else you want to say, Tripping? No, thanks for having me. Hope I didn't talk too much. Nashi, always great to see you, man. I love I I miss uh the times we get to hang out in Orlando. Hope we can do it again real soon. Chris, can't wait to hang out with you as well. And uh absolutely love it for the crown, baby. Absolutely, boys. Yeah, that'll happen in the future. We need a little uh, sorry in the States meetup on the cards this year. Uh, I foresee it now. Mm. So we'll Love get it, it done. All right, boys. Have a good one. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.